This is most certainly true. Jesus is the King, and He's coming soon. Our celebration of His Christmas arrival is coming soon, but His return is coming soon as well. Are you ready? He makes us ready through faith and opens our eyes to expect and to see and to welcome His return, to take us to live with Him forever. Get your hearts and lives more prepared for the King through this sermon, recently delivered at Grace. The second reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 4. God's perfect timing and His perfect love come to fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. These words will serve as the basis for today's sermon. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. Did you make it to midnight on New Year's Eve? Did you do so without needing a nap earlier in the day? Some of you, I'm sure, are night owls. You stay up late regularly, and so midnight on New Year's Eve is no big deal. But I'm sure that there is a segment of you out there who are more consistently in bed at 10 p.m., for whom an extra two hours is a bit of a stretch. It's people in that latter group that probably hit a wall about 10.45 and then we're faced with a question. Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it to midnight or should I set the alarm for 11.55 and just take a little nap here while we're waiting? Or maybe it's a different question you ask. Maybe the question you ask is, is it even worth it? Is it even worth, to, worth it to wait here in the wee hours of the late evening just so that I can watch the clock turn from 11.59 to 12. I suppose there's differing opinions, differing levels of excitement about New Year's and its celebration. Some probably don't really think that it's all that worthwhile, don't think that it's worth messing up an evening routine and then a morning routine, then it takes time to get back into the swing of things, but others get really excited. They really look forward to New Year's celebrations and everything that a new year brings. Regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, there are things in your life that you look forward to, and because there are things in your life that you look forward to, that means you know a thing or two about waiting. The children eight days ago got a chance to exercise their looking forward to and their waiting muscles as they waited to see what gifts would be given to them on Christmas. They've been waiting for months at Target in the toy aisle. They asked, can I have that? And the answer that was given to them in February was, put it on your Christmas list. 
kids, I don't know what you did. Parents, I don't know what your children submitted to you. My kids gave me a PowerPoint this year, complete with links to Amazon, so that there would be no trouble in finding precisely the gift and the color of the gift that they wanted. So you submit the list to your parents, and then you wait. Not much you can do until the time arrives. You wait. You can pepper mom and dad maybe with questions to try to figure out which gifts you got and which ones you didn't, but you just kind of have to wait. And then a day or two before Christmas, presents start slowly appearing under the tree, and the excitement level rises, but it becomes even harder to wait. Because now you have to wonder, is that one for me? Is that what I think it is? People who struggle in life wait and wait and wait. They wait for that weakness to turn into a strength. They wait to figure out what God's possibly doing in their life with allowing this trial. They wait until the situation might change, until sorrow can be turned into happiness, they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Teenagers wait until they turn 16 so that they can get their driver's license, or maybe 15 and a half so they can have the temporary license. It's all about waiting You take the driver's test, and hopefully you pass it, because if you don't, then you have to wait some more. But then you pass the test, and you become a full-fledged driver in the state of Wisconsin. And then you wait some more, because the only thing cooler than having a driver's license is having a driver's license and a car to drive. And so you wait, and you save, and you wait until... You can have a car and have real freedom. There is a small number of children and a significantly larger number of parents out there who are waiting for Christmas break to be over, waiting for their kids to go back to school so that they can get back to normalcy and routine. There's an awful lot of waiting that we do in life. But in God's words for us today, we get a chance to celebrate the fact that the wait is over, that the time has arrived. But it's not just any time, it's God's time. And it's not God's time to do just anything, but it's God's time to do the most important thing that this world has ever seen. Today, our Christmas joy continues as we celebrate the fact that salvation time has come. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be an Old Testament believer? For thousands and thousands of years, God piled on the promises of the Savior who was to come. He sent priests and prophets to proclaim the message of the Messiah. God piqued their interest, but he never really told them precisely when the Savior would be born. And so generation after generation of faithful follower would ask, is God going to make good on that promise anytime soon? Is God going to make good on his promise to send the Savior in my lifetime? Will the Savior come in my children's lifetime? 
Everybody asked the question, but nobody knew exactly when the time would come. Except for God. God knew before the creation of the world exactly when the time would be right. God knew exactly what the situation needed to be and exactly how he would put his hands in human history to make the time right. God took the powerful rulers of the land and moved them around like pawns on a chessboard to set the stage for his son to be born. God was the one who instituted that census that Caesar thought was his idea. God used it to bring Mary and Joseph from their village home in the north in Galilee down to Royal David's town in Bethlehem. God was the one who arranged that his son would be born to parents who were procrastinators. That's why Joseph didn't have his reservation in at the Holiday Inn in in Bethlehem. We sing a song about gentle Mary. I wonder how gentle Mary was with Joseph on that minor whoopsie, that minor forgetfulness. But it was actually God who arranged for that to be so. Every last detail was God's doing, was within God's control because this was the way that God would announce to the world that salvation time was here. That's why the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, the first recipients of these words, and he says to us this morning, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To be under the law, that's not a phrase that we use all that often. You're probably more familiar with the opposite of that phrase, to be above the law. The townspeople in the Western movie complain, that sheriff seems to think that he's above the law. What they're saying is that they are all down here at the bottom and then the law they're subject to, but the sheriff thinks that he's here, that he's above the law. Christ Jesus came to live under the law, to be where you and I are. He subjected himself to the law. Though he was better than the sheriff, he actually rightfully deserved that place above the law. As God of the universe, he's the one who created the law for your benefit and for mine. Yet Christ Jesus, in humility, took on flesh, was willing to put himself under the law to be where you and I are. But it was more than that, deeper than that. Christ Jesus put himself under the law, not just to be where you and I are, but to be where you and I fail. We fail to live up to the standards that God's law sets for us. We fail to live the kind of life that God demands every day. We try and every day we fail. Every day we break those commands of God. The guilt that is ours for the hurts that we've caused in other people's lives. For the fact that we disobey our God's commands. It's a weight that's impossibly heavy for us to bear. Left unchecked, we deserve to be crushed to death by the weight of sin and guilt. But Christ Jesus put himself under the law so that he could carry that weight for us. He bore the burden of our guilt and shame. He was obedient for the times that we disobey, perfect 
to satisfy our imperfections. He showed love for the times that we were too busy loving ourselves to care about anyone else around us. Every place that we fail, we, we have a perfect Savior. A Savior who obeyed for us, who lived for us to satisfy the demands of God's law. He filled in the gaps of our imperfection with his overflowing love. Salvation time is here. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. Jesus not only obeyed for us, he not only lived a perfect life, but he redeemed us. He bought us back. Though he was perfect, he was willing to bear the price that should have been ours. He was willing to shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, shares with us that price that Jesus paid. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ Jesus was the perfect lamb. The perfect lamb who shed perfect blood so that we could be covered, so that our sins could be washed away, so that we could have life with him. In our gospel, Zechariah praised God for those same truths. Praised the God of Israel who was his redeemer. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Salvation time has come. And that means that we have life with Jesus. As surely as Christ Jesus rose from sin's dark prison, so surely will we be raised to, to be with him forever. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We are members of God's family, not because of our worth, not because we've earned it, not because of our merit, but rather because of what God had done for us, because of God's plan from eternity, because of God's love for us from before the creation of the world. He's adopted us to be his children. Our adoption into God's family means that we have the full rights children of God. When a family adopts a child, they don't do it in a probation period first. When a family adopts a child, they don't pull that child aside and say, now just remember, this is kind of a temporary thing. This is a limited arrangement. We're going to see how it shakes out. We're going to see if you're worthy of being in our family. Decisions about the future will be made in the future, so just be warned. No, no parent would ever do that, but rather when a child is adopted into a family, they're welcomed with open arms, and they're given the fullest measure of love. Christ Jesus has won salvation for us. He's adopted us to be sons and daughters of his, and that means he's welcomed us into his family, and we have full status. He doesn't withhold any of his promises or any of his love. We have every benefit. 
We have every blessing of being in God's family, including a stake in the family future. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. As sons of God, we enjoy favored status in God's kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? Because of what Jesus has done, now we bear the same name that Jesus bears. We are sons of God. Christ Jesus has done enough so that we could be what he is. He has arranged so that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus himself. Jesus shed his blood and gave us his life so that we could be called sons of God. Jesus makes himself to be our brother. And being in that family, being sons of God, that means that we are heirs, heirs of the riches of heaven, heirs of the grace and glory that will never end. Dear Christian men, women, and children, we are sons of of God and siblings of the Savior. We bear the family name of Christ, and that means we receive from him peace, joy, and love. We have full and free forgiveness from our Savior who took our sins to the cross. A brother who also says to us, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Your sibling Savior loves you and never wants you to forget it. That's why he says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You have a mansion in heaven waiting for you with your name on the door. You have a place there in glory and Jesus himself is preparing it today. And Jesus himself is guiding and protecting and guarding you in this life until the day that he calls you to take your place with him. We've been given an inheritance. That means that the riches of heaven lie in wait for us. Salvation time has come. Christ Jesus came to satisfy and fulfill the plan of God, and he did it to a T. And that means another time has come. A time has come for us to respond in thanks. And in praise, we can thank God for the freedom that he's given us by using our new lives to bring him glory and honor. We can thank God for the love that he has so richly bestowed in our lives by reflecting that love in the way that we interact with others. We can thank God for the love that he's shown to us by looking for opportunities to share that love with those in our lives who desperately need to hear. We can thank God for being so richly generous with us by being richly generous with him by returning a portion, a a small portion in comparison to the price that he paid, but a fitting portion for the king, a fitting thanks gift in generous offerings. We can be generous with the way that we use our time for God in worship. We can be generous with the way that we spend time in his word, recognizing that at the same time, as we receive a benefit from being in the word, so also it's an expression and an act of worship. We can be generous in our lives of service to one another because God has been so generous to us. Salvation time has come in Christ's birth. 
And that means we wait. We worship while we wait, but we wait nonetheless. We wait for God's plans to be fulfilled in our lives. We live lives actively, active in service and worship and praise. We actively seek to bring God glory and to share God's love with the world around us, but we wait. We wait for it to be the time again. We wait for our time to arrive, the time that God calls us from this veil of tears to himself in glory, or the time that Christ Jesus comes to judge the heavens and the earth, to gather the church to his side, and to carry us into heaven. Either way, God's timing is perfect, and either way, heaven is ours on the other side. So my friends, be of good cheer. Take heart in in knowing that we have a Savior who is loving to save us and powerful enough to protect us. Celebrate the joy and the hope that is ours because salvation time has come. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, To support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today, and we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.